If you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter number 13. Mark chapter 13. And uh, as you're turning there, once you find that, if you're able to stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter number 13, uh, that means that we are 75% of the way done with the book of Mark. We're getting there. It's taking us a while. We started this in April of 2021, and uh, I don't know that we'll be done this year. I think we might go into April of 2023 before we're done with it, but uh, we're going to actually, I do plan to cover this entire chapter in two weeks. Um, I think we can do that. So uh, Mark chapter number 13, and I'm going to cover really verses 1 through 23 but uh, to start with uh, this morning, I'm just going to read um, verses 1 through 4, and we'll pray and get into the message. Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, the Word of God says this, And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the Word of God. And uh, Father, I pray you'd help me today as I, I go through this very wonderful and powerful and, and uh, sobering uh, passage of Scripture that we're going to study uh, this morning. Pray, Lord, you'd help us to put the distractions away and, and listen intently. And uh, Lord, I pray also that we would have a willingness in our hearts to apply these truths to our lives and we thank you for all that you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This is somewhat of a fitting passage of Scripture for me as I, uh, approach the, as I was approaching the uh, Sunday that marks my fourth anniversary here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. I was thinking, you know, hey, I've finished four years of ministry, um, it's a little like, you know, finishing a four-year presidential term, hoping that there will be another one to follow. Um, and I was thinking back to even high school, you know, when you finish four years of high school and you have that graduation, uh, one of the things they mention is that these, this isn't just a graduation, it's really a commencement exercise, and commencement means the beginning. And uh, so instead of just looking back and rejoicing, and, and I do want to do that, and I did do that, but um, I am looking forward to the future of Cornerstone Baptist Church. And, uh, you know, I was thinking back even to college. You graduate from college, and, and, and you look back and you think, oh, man, it was just great the freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, senior year, and, and, and I finished, and I'm, and I'm done. But, but you're really not done because really the real work begins, and uh, as the Lord here is, is at a point in his ministry where he could just simply look back and see all that he was able to do and, and all the different things, 
in this particular passage, he doesn't look back. He really takes time to look forward to the future. And so the title of the message this morning is Focusing on the Future, Part 1. All right, so you have to come back next week to hear Part 2. Uh, but uh, as he is... We, we looked in, verse, in chapter number 12, and in chapter number 12, the location of Jesus Christ was he was inside the temple. And there he faced uh, several different waves of conspiracy where people were trying to take him down and trip him up with their words. Well, then he taught last week, we saw him as the master teacher, he taught there uh, some valuable lessons. He taught, taught about the truth of the Messiah. Remember, he explained who he was. He was both fully man and, and fully God at the same time. And then he also uh, talked and taught a lesson about the two-faced ministers and those who would look a certain way, and, and, but in their heart they were uh, after uh, selfish motives. And then we also learn the lesson about the two mites there at the end of chapter number 12, and uh, where we ought to be willing to give everything, uh, just like that uh, little old widow woman was willing to do. Well, our text today takes place not in the temple, but just outside of the temple of Jerusalem. And uh, there Jesus begins to focus on the future and uh, toward the somewhat near future, and then to a time yet to come, even that we haven't experienced yet. And this is what is commonly known as the Olivet Discourse. And most Bible scholars understand that in each of the Gospels, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this. Uh, John doesn't, um, but uh, the other three do. And now, really the vast majority of Mark chapter 13, our Lord is teaching on future events, and we're going to break this into two messages again, as I said. So if you're here today, you have to promise to come back next Sunday to hear part two. Let's go ahead and jump in and, and, and get into it today. Let's look at three promises regarding the future here in this particular passage. First, we see a promised destruction, a promised destruction in verse number one, as his as Jesus uh, and his disciples went out of the temple, and one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So as Jesus and the disciples leave the temple area for the last time before he was crucified, the disciples take notice of the temple and the surrounding buildings in response to Jesus' promise in uh, Matthew 23. And I don't want to take too much time to develop this, but in Matthew 23, verse 38, he said this, Behold, your house, talking about the temple, is left unto you desolate. So they kind of took that like, how could this temple leave us desolate? There, there's no way. And so they come out of the temple and point out the strength and the stability of this temple. In verse number one, one of the disciples said, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here? They're like, how could this house leave us desolate? There's no way. And uh, what they were speaking of is the, the, the strength and stability of that temple. And this is Herod's temple that, that he built. And, and it was an impressive and uh, magnificent uh, structure for sure. And uh, the stones of the temple were uh, actually absolutely massive. In fact, historians, the historian Josephus 
says that some of the stones that were used to build the temple were ginormous. I don't think that's the actual word he used. That's the word I'm using. Uh, but, but, but listen to these statistics. They were, some of them were 50 feet long, 24 feet broad, and 16 feet in thickness, and weighed more than 100 tons, which was equivalent to 200,000 pounds. Now, to put it in perspective, I actually uh, came in here and just walked it out to get a rough measurement, but uh, from about right here to Brother Terry, it's 50 feet. And from this wall to this wall is in the neighborhood of about 24 feet, uh, plus or minus. Now, from here to the ceiling is less than 16 feet. So you could imagine stones that were bigger than this room that were used to build the temple. So when the disciples pointed to these stones, they were pretty impressed and they said, they pretty much scratched their head and were like, okay, Lord, you may not really understand, but you're talking about this temple? This temple is never going to be crushed. I mean, this temple is going to last forever because do you not see the stones that were used to build this temple? Well, Jesus made no bones about it. He promised that the temple would indeed be destroyed, destroyed in verse number 2. In Matthew 23, 38, I already mentioned, he said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And that was a reference to the fact that one day this temple is not going to be here anymore. And they, they kind of were like, okay, we're probably not talking about the same temple because, again, do you not see these ginormous stones? Again, that's probably in the Hebrew there, the word ginormous. Um, but uh, verse number two, Jesus says, See us all these great buildings? And then he says, he promises here, there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Did you catch the word shall? It's mentioned twice in that verse. There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. He said, look, it's a done deal. It's going to happen. One day, one day, uh, these stones would, would come crumbling down. And you know what? That one day did eventually come. History tells us that in 70 AD, the Roman army under the rule of Titus came and tore down the magnificent and glorious temple. And here's a picture of some of those stones that came tumbling down and were not stacked on top of each other like they once were with all their strength and stability. So, what Jesus says and promises happens. Um, he doesn't say something that's not going to eventually happen. And keep that in mind as we go through some of the other uh, promises here. Now, what Jesus was getting at in this particular promise here, and what he was trying to convey to his disciples, and really uh, to all of us as well, is that um, for all of us to understand that these things, these things that we see with all their strength and stability are still just temporal. See, the things of the world that seem unshakable will all eventually perish. One day the mighty structures of this world and the mighty systems of this world will come crumbling down. 
Actually, the Bible says that they will melt with fervent heat one day. Peter wrote about this coming day in 2 Peter 3 and verse number 10, where he said, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So there's a promised destruction here. And here's the deal. Don't be too occupied and impressed with the temporal things of this world. Knowing that one day they're going to just burn up. Paul reminds us instead to set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth, because the things on this earth are going to perish. Now, I like my vehicles that I own. I like the house that I live in, the clothes that I wear. One day, all of those things are going to burn up. So let's not put too much emphasis in our lives on the temporal things of this world. That's what he's trying to tell the disciples here. He said, this magnificent structure that you see, Yes, it's impressive, and the, uh, the amount of work that that took to, to build that is just beyond even my comprehension, but one day, it's going to come tumbling down, and it did, and one day, everything else in this world, as mighty and strong as it seems to be, is going to burn up one day. So there's a promised destruction. Then Jesus and the disciples evidently made their way in verse number 4 along the Mount of Olives to get a better vantage point of the temple and the surrounding buildings. And that's where we find, secondly today, a promised deception. So there's a promised destruction, and then there's a promised deception that was going to come as well. So verse number 3, He sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter, and these four... Notice that there's four men here. Normally it's just Peter, James, and John, but now Andrew is part of this particular group, and they, uh, these four, this uh, quartet goes to Jesus and asks him privately, hey, can you please tell us when this is all going to happen? And what signs should we be looking for when, when all this is going to come to pass? And Jesus doesn't exactly answer those questions per se, but he does point to a time of deception that is going to come. In verse number 5, Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when you shall hear wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled. For such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be earthquakes in diverse places. There shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. So here Jesus is telling his disciples that there would be a time of great deception, where people would rise up and be false Christs and claim to be Christ who are not. One commentator wisely pointed out that the Jews never had a false Messiah until after they rejected the true Messiah, and then after that they had several. That's a good thought. There was one by the name of Moses of Crete who promised to smite the sea and lead the Jews on dry land to Canaan. And his followers sadly gathered on a cliff and jumped to their deaths. 
There was even a female Messiah named Eva Frank who combined horrible immorality with religion. And there would be false Christ that would rise up and deceive many, Jesus says. And, and we see this even in our recent memory as, as we under, go through the history of religion, right? We see all these cults rise up and, and these people who start these religions, these cults, uh, Joseph Smith, Mary Baker Eder, and, and all, the, all these leaders of these cults are rising up being these false Christs and as a result, deceiving many. And one day in the future... The Antichrist will rise up, leading many people away as well from the truth. So we're here to, uh, he's just trying to say, hey, look, be careful because uh, there are going to be false Christs that are going to rise up. And uh, he continues it in verse number 22. He says, for false Christs and false prophets shall rise, shall show signs and wonders to to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. So there is a deception coming. Then notice verse number 7. He says, When ye shall hear wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled. For such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. See, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and the one we're getting close. I mean, you go to Hobby Lobby, and it's already Christmas there. I'm not really ready to start decorating for Christmas yet, Julie. So just hang tight. She just decorated for fall, so we're good for a couple months. Um, but when we, if we take our minds back to that uh, one night when Jesus was born, and the angels were singing to the shepherds, they said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. What was the next word they sang? Peace. See, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, had come, and, and now earth was going to receive peace so long as they received the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, sadly, the world rejected God's peace offering to them. And as a result, they would need to deal with the ravages of war from then on. A group of academics and historians has com- had compiled this startling information since 3600 B.C., so that's a long, long time ago. The world has known only 292 years of peace since then. That means that since 3600 B.C., almost 99.5% of history has seen war and conflict. So when Jesus says in verse number 7, Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled, for such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. I know when we hear uh, that a war is taking place and, and it makes national news, international news, and, 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 it, and it, it's, it's scary. But the Lord says here, uh, don't, don't be troubled because such things must needs be. The end shall not be yet. Verse 8, for nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. It's just part of it. It's going to happen. There shall be earthquakes in diverse places. And uh, I grew up in Southern California. And on the San Andreas fault line, 
So yes, we got to experience quite a few earthquakes. And I know that there's been earthquakes even here in Oklahoma. You know, you kind of think, well, at least I don't have to deal with earthquakes now that I'm in. I know I have to deal with tornadoes, but, but, but at least I don't have to deal with earthquakes. We get here and we find out, yes, there's earthquakes here in Oklahoma too. I'm like, great. <laughs> and I'm like, well, at least we don't have to deal with uh, a, a brutal winter. And then we had February of 2021 come and uh, we're going to be paying for it. Uh, these, uh, the, the gas company is going to make us pay for it. And uh, it was like two weeks of just frozen tundra. It was like, man, we're having just everything here in Oklahoma. Well, it's just part of it, right? Um, for nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places. I think Oklahoma is a diverse place. And uh, there are going to be earthquakes, and we hear about earthquakes that are happening all around us that are causing tsunamis and, and destroying uh, cities, and, and uh, it, it's just part of it. And notice here, there shall be famines. Well, I know that most of us have seen infomercials on Save the Children, and we see the effects of some of the famine that is going on around the world with these children who have these enlarged stomachs and just thin as a rail because of the starvation that's going on in their life and the famine that is going on. But uh, now it's evident that it, we could here in America be facing some type of a famine. Instead of being worried about it, just understand it's part of it. In verse number 8, he says, there shall be famines, and then he uses these words, and troubles. When you go to Matthew and you compare what Matthew had to say and the word he used, he used pestilence. So, 2020 brought us a pestilence, didn't it? Called COVID-19. And we had to deal with that and the difficulties and the challenges. And some of us are still dealing with this, the challenges of that. It's all part of it. These are the beginning of sorrows, Jesus says. So there is a time of deception. And in part of that, uh, some people are deceived thinking, okay, well, um, we, need to, we need to fret and worry about all these things. No, they're, they're just part of it. And then go in verse number 9 here. Uh, let's just keep reading down through this passage. He says, Take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils. In the synagogues you shall be beaten, and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. So here Jesus, in a sense, promises that they're going to, have to, they're going to be delivered up to councils and, and to be dealing with a lot of different persecution. Well, would this end up happening? Yes. Herod would go on to kill James and attempt to take the life of Peter as well. The disciples will all, would all have to endure tremendous persecution in the days to come. And that doesn't really even stop with us. Um, we're not guaranteed that we're going to uh, be excused from uh, being or dealing with persecution either. All right, verse number 10 says the gospel must first be preached or published among all 
nations. And then verse 11, when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate. But whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye. It is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. And he's talking about this in context with um, persecution. And, 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 and a lot of people, some people take this out of context and say, hey, see, I'm a Sunday school teacher. I don't need to really work on my Sunday school lesson during the week. Uh, the Lord is going to give me the answer right in that hour. Or a preacher says, I don't need to study during the week. I don't need to prepare my sermon. I'm just going to get up to the pulpit. And, and uh, in that hour, uh, the Holy Spirit's going to give me what to say. That's, that's totally out of context and not at all what that means. So if you're a Sunday school teacher and if you're a preacher here, study, prepare, let's be ready. Uh, but this is, uh, one, one commentator said, this is for martyrs, not ministers. So... Uh, if you are in that moment uh, where you are taken in dealing with uh, tremendous persecution, God's going to give you um, wisdom on to know how to handle it and know what to say. Uh, verse 12 and 13, Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son, and the children shall rise up against their parents and shall cause them to be put to death. I mean, there's just going to be some... Uh, the, there's going to be just a turning away um, from Christian people and from, from the Lord's people. And in verse number 13, he says it this way, He shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this is not a verse, verse 13, is not a verse to, in, to say that we need to endure in order to earn our salvation. Oh no, that... This is really in dealing with the last times that those who are saved are going to just be faithful. And it's a sign that you are saved that if you are faithful. So here Jesus focuses on the future. And first he mentions there is a promised destruction and there would be a promised deception. Thirdly, there would be a promised desolation. In verse 14 down through verse 23, I'll mention this. And I'm going to kind of walk through this slowly here. Verse number 14, he says, When ye shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that read, readeth understand, and let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. See, Jesus then reminds them about the prophecy of Daniel 9.27, which says, He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. In the midst of the week, the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations shall he make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. It's a lot of words, big, big words that basically point to the great tribulation period that is coming after the rapture of the church. See, once Jesus comes back to catch his bride, the church away, that will mark the beginning of the tribulation period. And it will be during this time that God will deal with Israel and the world, those who rejected Christ. And particularly during the last three and a half years are going to be crazy. Um, if you jump down here to verse number 19, this basically sums up the entire tribulation period. In verse number 19, For in those days shall be affliction, such as was not from the beginning of the creation, which God created at this time, neither shall be. And in that moment, in that verse, he summed up the bulk of the book of Revelation. Uh, chapter 6 through chapter 18. 
in that one verse. But I am going to invite you to go on a little field trip with me to the book of Revelation here. We'll be back in Mark here in a couple minutes. But I want to show you some of these passages that detail what the Great Tribulation is going to bring upon this earth. Revelation chapter 6 is where we're going to start here. And I'm skipping a lot of stuff, obviously. Um, but I do want to read a few of these passages together. Revelation 6 and verse 12, if you pick it up in verse number 12. The first part of the chapter deals with the seals that are all opened. The, the first seal all the way down through the fifth seal. And then here we are in the sixth seal in verse 12. I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. Here's those earthquakes again. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. The stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. So, I mean, there is... Things are going to happen in the... In space and in the, the, the night sky that has never been seen before. And this is not allegory, my friend. This is not, uh, this is not just illustrative. This is actually going to happen as the Bible says. Verse number 14, the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. Every mountain and island were moved out of their places. So Hawaii is not going to look like Hawaii anymore. Australia is not going to look like Australia anymore. Mount Everest is going to not look like Mount Everest anymore. And I was going to say a mountain in Oklahoma, but I can't think of any mountains in Oklahoma. I know there might be a couple, uh, you know, little anthills, uh, but that might be about it. But whatever they are, they're going to be moved out of their places. Verse 15, the kings of the earth, this is how bad it's going to be. The kings of the earth and the great men. I mean, these guys have money. These guys have power. These guys have influence. These great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man, what did they do? They hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the, day, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Go over to Revelation chapter number 8. Look in verse number 6. Again, I'm skipping quite a bit here, but just to give you an idea of some of these things that are going to be happening, verse 6 says this, The seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound, the first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. The third part of trees was burnt up. There's a lot of trees upon this planet, but 33% of them, 0.33 with a line over them, are going to be burnt up here during this great tribulation period. And all green grass was burnt up. So, Brother David, I guess you won't have to mow during that time. You're off the hook. Because all green grass is going to be burnt up in this. Because this... Hail and fire mingled with blood is going to fall to this earth. Verse number 8, the second angel sounded, and as were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. 
And the third part of the sea became blood. The third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. Third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. So, I mean, it's going to affect everything. It's going to affect the weather. It's going to affect the, uh, the resources that we have here on this earth. Uh, verse 12 says, The fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. Uh, let's pick it up in uh, verse number chapter 9 and verse number 1. The fifth angel sounded. I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. Now, is there anybody in here today who has been stung by a scorpion? Would you raise your hand? Okay, three or four of you. I never want to be ever stung by a scorpion. Those things honestly creep me out big time. I'm okay with spiders. I'm okay with crickets and, and uh, creepy crawlies. But when it comes to scorpions, I run like a little girl. I'm serious. But one day, these, these scorpions are going to come out. These locusts are going to come out of the earth. And they're going to have the power, the same, the same venom as a scorpion is going to ha or has. And uh, it's, when he strikes a man... He's not going to get relief for five months. Verse 6, this is how bad it's going to be. In those, den, in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it. They shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. They're like, hey, why don't you just, someone kill me because this, is, this pain is horrible. I, I just don't want to live anymore. They're not going to be able to die. They're going to have to deal with this. And we're going to skip a whole bunch more, but let's go to Revelation 16. Hope you don't mind us just reading the Bible this morning. I mean, we are in church after all. <laughs> I'm supposed to preach the Word, not preach my own Word. Preach His Word. So that's what I'm trying to do tonight, today. It's almost tonight, but Revelation chapter 16. Pick it up in verse number 1. I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. First went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. Second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. The third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. 
And I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. Heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. The fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat. You say, is there global warming? Yes, there is. It's going to happen big time here in the Great Tribulation period. But there's nothing we can do to stop it. So let's not spend our lives trying to prevent global warming from happening because one day it's going to happen. Men were scorched, verse 9, with great heat and blaspheme. Even though they were scorched with great heat, you would think that they would repent and get right with God and say, I'm sorry. That's not what they do. Verse 9, and blaspheme the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. How sad. Verse 10, and the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. And blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. They got mad at God when it was their own fault. Verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. And the water thereof was dried up, that the way of kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three clean, unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth, and the whole world, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place in the Hebrew, called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. When I was in California, they kept talking about the big one. There's going to be a big one. We need to be ready for the big one. Well, I'm telling you, the big one is coming. It's coming during the tribulation period. Verse 19, and the great city, here's how bad the earthquake was. The great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. So really, earth is going to look a lot like Oklahoma at that point. <laughs> but, but notice this, verse 21. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. Now, here in Oklahoma, we know about hailstorms, don't we? I mean, hey, we've got nickel to dime size to nickel size to quarter size hail coming through, so be ready. Oh, uh, well, we've got golf ball size hail. Oh, we've got uh, baseball size hail. Oh, we've got softball size hail. Um, David Payne, you haven't seen nothing yet. Verse 21. Every stone, there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. Every stone about the weight of a talent. Okay, let me explain what that is. To give you a perspective, the largest hailstone, hailstone discovered in the United States in recorded history 
fell in Vivian, South Dakota in July of 2010. So this is 12 years ago. And the roughly volleyball-sized hailstone weighed almost two pounds. We have a picture of this hailstone here. It was eight inches in diameter, 18.62 inches in circumference. And this weighed just under two pounds, and it was roughly the size of a volleyball, small volleyball. Can you imagine that coming down with great force? That's going to cause some serious damage. That might break a window or two. But the hailstorm we're talking about in the Great Tribulation, this seems like pea-sized compared to what this one is. Verse 21, there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. Bible scholars tell us a talent weighs 75 to 100 pounds. So if you can imagine this morning a mountain bike wheel, and if you were to make that into a giant sphere and it be solid ice, that's the type of hail that's going to come out of the sky during the Great Tribulation. Coming down at about 284 miles per hour, it's going to crush everything that it comes in contact with. The hailstones landing on people will have the same effect as a person's foot has when he or she lands on grapes. Just going to smash them and squish them to smithereens. Verse 21 tells us every stone about the weight of a, every stone, not just a couple of them, not just a couple big ones, but every stone about the weight of a talent. And men, you would think at this point they would respond out of repentance, but no, they blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. So, no wonder Jesus said in Mark chapter 13 and verse 19, for in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created in this time, neither shall be. It's going to be a terrible time. The great tribulation. Let's go back to Mark chapter 13, and let me wrap this up here. Mark chapter 13. Let me read the last couple verses of Mark chapter 13 in this passage here. It's going to be a terrible time. And he's referencing it here. He's focusing on the future. Verse number 20, he says, And except that the Lord had been shortened those, had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. And then if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christs and false prophets shall arise, and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed. Behold, I have foretold you all things. And uh, we could take time to comment on each of these uh, verses, and uh, I, I wish I had the time to do that, but I just want to basically say, look, we have, we have here some promises. We have a promised uh, destruction, promised deception, promised desolation. What are we to do with these promises? How are we to respond? Very quickly, let me just wrap this up with four quick important lessons for us today. The Lord doesn't leave us without instruction in any of this. And I didn't really pause and, and uh, focus, focus in on it, but they're, they're there, and, and, and we will real quickly. First important lesson for us as we consider the future, as we focus on the future like the Lord did here, first of all, be not troubled. Be not troubled. Verse number seven, 
when you shall hear wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled. For such things must needs be, the end shall not be yet. And we read some scary stuff that's coming someday. How are we not to be troubled? Well, if you're born again, you're going to be out of here before the great tribulation period. We're going to be raptured out of here. Uh, the Lord promised that he would come back for us. And I'm thankful for that truth. As we consider the future events as believers, we ought not to be troubled, but looking forward to the promises being fulfilled. And so when we see some of these things happening in the world, things mentioned in verse number 8, earthquakes, wars, famines, troubles, pestilences, uh, what what should we do? Should we panic and and, and go, what are we going to do? How are we going to survive? Don't worry about it. Let's not be troubled. Let's not panic and feel like the whole world is falling apart. For believers who know the Lord, we can have peace in our hearts, knowing what the Scriptures say and knowing the truth of what's to come. John 16, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. We can have peace if the Lord resides within. And if you're not... At peace, even as you look at what's going on around us in this world, um, I want to encourage you to, to remember that, hey, the Lord, who is the Prince of Peace, resides within. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is peace. And so, if we're not having peace in our hearts, uh, we need to really ask and, 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 and ask some real good questions. By the way, Um, I say, be not troubled. If you're not saved, you should be very troubled. Because if you get left behind after the rapture, you're going to face this terrible time that I just read about. And again, it's not just an allegory. Like, what does that really mean? It means what it says it means. It's going to actually happen as the book of Revelation says it's going to. And you're not going to want to be here. But if you choose to reject Christ now and the rapture happens, the Bible says you're going to believe a lie. So if you're not saved today, I would encourage you to be very troubled to the point where you say, I want to get saved and come to Christ. Repent of my sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that he lived a perfect and sinless life, that he died on the cross, he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. I want to encourage you to come to Christ and be saved. So, First, be not troubled. Secondly, quickly, be careful. Be careful. The words take heed are mentioned several times in this chapter. Once in verse number 5, take heed, lest any man deceive you. Verse number 9, take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils. Verse 23, take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. And then in verse number 33, later in the chapter, take ye heed. Uh, so we're called to be careful. And, and I know that most of us are like, oh, I know all these things. I can kind of just kind of do what I normally do. We need to have a guarded heart, and we need to make sure that we're not going to be deceived. And I'm telling you, believers, even in this day, are still being deceived. You walk into the average Christian bookstore, and I'm telling you, not everything in that Christian bookstore is something you should consume. There are a lot of dangerous things in that Christian bookstore under the name of Christ. A lot of devotionals that really even take the place of Scripture. 
We better be careful that we're not being led astray and, and, and better people than us have been led astray. And, and Peter, who said, I'm not going to be led astray, was very quickly uh, hum humbled and realized that he could be led astray as well. So 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, better be careful. You better take heed lest you fall. Be careful. Thirdly, quickly, be faithful. Be faithful. Verse number 13 is an encouragement for those who are saved to be faithful. And, and I know that this verse sometimes gets taken out of context and used to promote a works-based salvation. We are saved by faith through, by grace through faith, that, that in a period. Um, this verse is an encouragement, though, for those during this difficult time to be faithful. And here again, we're reminded of our church theme for 2022, which is the word continue. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul tells Timothy that the last days would be perilous times and that evil men would wax worse and worse and that persecution would come upon all those that live godly in Christ Jesus. What did Paul challenge Timothy to do in light of all that? To panic? To worry? To be scared? To go hide? No. He simply instructed him to continue, to keep doing what he had been taught to do. In Cornerstone Baptist Church, can I encourage each of us today to be faithful no matter what comes our way? to keep reading the Scriptures every day, to stay on our knees in prayer, to be faithful to the house of God, and so much the more as we see that day approaching, to keep witnessing, to keep living for the Lord, to keep loving people, to keep serving God, to continue to be faithful. So be not troubled, be careful, be faithful, and one more today, be preaching the gospel. Verse number 10, the gospel must first be published among all nations. Now, some people think, well, okay, well, the gospel had to be preached before the Lord comes back. That's not really what he's talking about. It's, it's, it's less of a prerequisite and more of a priority. See, at the rapture, all the believers will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, leaving behind unbelievers. These people have to go through this horrible time in human history that I just got done reading about. This promised desolation. This ought to motivate us to get the gospel out while we have the opportunity to do so. Jesus said, I must work the him, works of him that sent me while it is day, because the night's coming when no man can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And you and I as believers are called to be the light of the world as long as we're in the world. So, hey, we're here. Let's shine brightly. Let's not hide it under a bushel. Let's not uh, get distracted and, and uh, get lazy. Let's get the word out. There ought to be an urgency in our witness. I was in Bible college working at Staples, the office superstore. And I was trying to witness to some of my coworkers and, and my boss. I, was really, I really had a burden and a heart to witness to him. And I remember I was going to try to witness to, I told my friend, I'm going to witness to my boss tonight. And went through my shift, and, and there just didn't, wasn't really an opportunity it didn't seem like. So I get back to uh, the dorm, and my friend says, hey, how'd it go? How, did you witness to your boss today? And I said, oh, um, actually, we, there, it wasn't really the right time. And then, he, and then he stopped, and he said, okay, Eric, when will it be the right time? I'm like whoa, can you just lay off? <laughs> you know? like I just had to work, man. Do you know what? What he said really penetrated my heart, and I never forgot it, obviously. 
When will it be the right time for you to witness to your neighbor? When will it be the right time for you to witness to your coworker, to your family member, to those you go and to go to school with? When will it be the right time? Because the thing is, God's going to give us a window of opportunity, and eventually that window is going to be gone. So can I just encourage all of us today to take the good news around the world and around the corners to publish the gospel among all nations? So let's prayerfully, intentionally, compassionately, and boldly reach our coworkers with the gospel, our neighbors, those at school, and everyone else we come in contact with. And let's also be willing to give our lives to go to a foreign land with the life-changing message of the gospel. Let's be willing to give up our comfort so that we can share the good news with those who may never hear. A couple months ago, we had two missionaries that we supported who graduated and went to glory. And they're no longer in this world to be the light of this world. So someone needs to take their place. And, and I believe that God wants to, you know, we, we'll, we'll just have another church send them. I, I believe God wants to send somebody from every church to go into the uh, harvest field and, and to be preaching the gospel. I wonder who it is today in this room who God will send into the harvest field. Let's do well at publishing the gospel among all nations. So here, Jesus spends some time with his disciples focusing on the future. But he also gives them and us some instructions as to how to respond to it. And I hope that you will be wise to listen to those words of instruction. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the day. Thank you for the opportunity to spend some time considering what is in the future. Lord, what you promise comes to pass. You promised that the temple would be destroyed, and it was. You promised that there would be deception. There was and there is. You promised that there would be a day of desolation. It's yet to come, but Lord, we know it's coming. It's as good as done. It just hasn't arrived yet. Lord, help us to prepare by not being troubled, not panicking and fretting over all the things that we're hearing on the news. Help us, Lord, to look more into the Scriptures than we do to CNN or Fox News. And Lord, I pray that we would get comfort from that and that we would be careful in these last days, that we would not be deceived. And Lord, I know that the devil would love to deceive many people in this room to get them off course. Lord, help us to be very careful about where we consume our uh, materials and, and, and get, learn, get, get the scriptures. Lord, help us to just go to the book, go to the truth. Help us to be found faithful, Lord, in these days. And help us to be preaching the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to take heed to these truths.